Welcome to The Market Tech, a podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. The Market Tech is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers that own the function. Today, my guest co-host, uh, returning guest co-host, I don't know how many of these you've done, Trenton, but always loving having you here. Uh, we have the pleasure of interviewing two product marketers that are truly at the top of their game not because their teams tell them that they've cracked the top 50 product marketing lists on a few occasions with a few publications and associations so they truly are at the top of the game uh, they're going to share how they build manage interlock and measure their product marketing teams as well as quite frankly, how their product marketing teams help their respective organizations, Salesforce and Kajabi. I just love saying that name. Uh, how they help them position to win. And so now it's my pleasure to introduce you to Reka from Salesforce and Tamara from Kajabi. And of course, my lovely guest co-host, Trenton from Closed. Welcome everyone. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Long, yeah. long overdue. Thanks, Ron. It's awesome to co-host again. And and Reka. Thank you. Thank you for lending for us your me. time so close <laughs> to Dreamforce. As you reminded yeah. us, top of this, 28 days exactly before <laughs> Dreamforce. Who's counting? Days. No, but 28 days it is. But looking forward to being here. Thank you. Likewise, likewise. All right. Indulge me. We're going to do two fill in the blanks, and then we're going to get to some questions. So let's start with Reka. I am in marketing because... I love the intersection between product and the consumer. Ooh, intersection between product and the consumer. I love that. Tamara. Wow, it truly is the best. <laughs> Tamara, I am in marketing because... Yeah, I'm in marketing because I believe in the power of storytelling and narrative, and I love how to explore how to tell stories in effective ways and like going beyond words. So thinking about how naming impacts storytelling, how packaging impacts storytelling, how pricing impacts storytelling. Beautiful. You're a natural storyteller at heart. I love it. And most product marketers are or ought to be. Um, all right. Let's get to it. Sorry, my, 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 my bad. One, one more. My definition of leadership is, I'm so excited to get to your answers for a position to win, but one more. My definition of leadership is Reka. To be invisible. Hang in there, I'll tell you. To be invisible because one, you've got to give your team, empower your team to do the best job of their careers. And two, being there without them knowing that you're there. So true leadership to me is being invisible, but knowing that your team, knowing your, knowing that you're, no, knowing that you have your teams back. Oh, I absolutely love that. Um, j just being there and guiding them so that they could be their best. Uh, and there are quite a few leaders who are invisible for the wrong reasons, but that's not what you mean. So right. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I did want to clarify that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Well, Tamara, my definition of leadership is. Yeah, my definition of leadership is amplification. Really similar to Reka's answer, though, it's all about maximizing the team around you, right? I'm so focused on making sure that I'm calibrating everyone on my team into a role where they can really live in their zone of genius, where what they're able to bring to the organization is amplified and that together as a team, we're really maximizing that. And so I, I love, Reka, what you said about really helping your team do the best careers of their life. Brilliant. And let's stay with you while we get to the next question. Sure. And Reka would love your thoughts on this as well. Um, Absolutely. What is, in, from your perspective, the role of product marketing in a SaaS company? Yeah, what isn't the role of product marketing in a SaaS company? <laughs> That's probably a better way to reframe it. No, um, I thought a lot about this. Most of my career has been in product marketing in SaaS. To me, really at the heart of it is understanding who your best customers are, then identifying the value that those customers are looking for, 
packaging, positioning, and pricing your product in a way that communicates that value, and then really deepening and broadening customer usage of your product in a way that ensures that they actually receive that value on a regular and habitual basis. I mean, it's as simple as that. <laughs> I, I love everything, especially the last part where you, you go the extra mile, and it's not lost on me that life cycle is part of your title as well. And so when you talk about usage, absolutely product marketers should have a, um, a role to play in ensuring not just uh, getting folks to persuade them to buy the product, but actually use the product and find the value in the product. Yes. Amen. All right. Amen. Reka, what's the role I... of product marketing, not just at Salesforce, just your, 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 your take on the role of product marketing? Yeah, Samara, I actually loved what you started off with. Like, what is it not? Because it's becoming such an integral component of every organization now. So, and it's such a strategic function too. So it's, Rowan, I also, I also think it's very similar to your positioning to win framework you have. I always think of product marketing as the who, what, why answer framework. Who are you marketing this to? And how do you define them? Who are you against? You know, how, is, how does that come, how does that shake out? And then the second one is the, you know, how do you think about the value? What is it? What is it a feature? What is the value add? What's the customer outcome from your feature? And then the last one is why? Why are you here? Why do you exist? What would happen if you didn't exist? And coming up with that whole narrative is what product marketers do. In Ooh. addition to all of this, I, I also think that we play such a, um, underdog role in most organizations, because if you think about it, we are the voice of the customer in the broader organization, whether it's working with the product or the engineering teams or working with customer success or working with sales, we are the ones who understand our customers extremely well and are their eyes and ears and, you know, candidly, their, their voice in the broader organization. So it's a, it's, it's a very, thankless job sometimes, but it's, it's also the one that brings more value to the brand, to the company at large. Wow. Who, what, why? And the product marketer as the underdog. Oh, I, I absolutely love that. And from a product marketing perspective, where, this is for both of you again, where do you believe understanding the role of product marketing, where do you believe product marketing ought to reside within an organization, meaning report to, and, and why? I can, yeah, I can, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I can start. I have spoken about this at length. I have many beliefs about it. Uh, Rowan, I know you and I have jammed on this before as well. I actually believe that product marketing should not sit within either product or marketing. I believe that product marketing should be an unbiased function. So at Unbounce, where I was previously, we actually created a strategy unit. Uh, I was the chief strategy officer there. We created a department called strategic growth and product marketing sat within that completely separate from product marketing. That said, that's often not the reality at a business. And so when I think about where product marketing should sit, I think you need to know a few things about the organization. You need to know, well, where are their currently strong leadership and where could it benefit from having a strong product marketing team? What are the unique competencies of the organization? Are you a product-led organization or a marketing-led organization? And what are some of the projects that you might be taking on as your main priorities? And will you be set up for success sitting in product or sitting in marketing? So your first take is that it should not be in product nor marketing, yes. but perhaps uh, another function that is unbiased from both. Uh, and in the role that you had previously, it was strategic growth. But if it were to sit in either of them, it really depends on if it's a PLG-led motion or a sales-led motion for the most part. Yeah, potentially. Or I can even give an example. So when I was interviewing for my role at Kajabi, we actually had this conversation. And we said, should I report to the CPO or the CMO? And we actually decided to go the CMO route. And so the product marketing team sits within marketing at Kajabi because we wanted the marketing team to have increased product acumen because we're a PLG-led company. And we felt like 
left to their own devices, the marketing team would not default to PLG thinking. And so by embedding product marketing in the marketing org, we're able to really bring that product acumen and that passion for product-led growth. But it could have been the other way around as well. So <laughs> there's no right or wrong answer. Uh, but I, I love the thoughtfulness behind this. Uh, you are one of the very, very, very few that have been on this show, Tamara. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, that has said not product or marketing, but I, it's an intriguing yes. thought, truly. And Reka, I, I love your take on it. I would have never thought about it that way, but you're 100% right. You know, it depends a lot on the organization and the product-led or the sales-led plays an important role. But I want to think more about it, but it was such an intriguing thought. My point of view is product marketing should sit under the marketing organization. And here's why. Majority of the times, product marketing teams tend to be the glue for the rest of the, that's for the marketing organization. For example, at least at Salesforce, when you think about the awareness efforts, the campaigns, the top of the funnel work that you do, you need the support of a product marketer to be able to differentiate between what should you talk about a feature? How should you say it? You know, what's the terminology? What's the messaging, et cetera. And then when you take that back to the field, the sales enablement aspect of it, when to activate the field, you've got to work with them to, you know, talk about the feature in a way that makes sense for the field. And then of course you have the creative department. We often work with them whenever it's a product launch or a feature launch or an event and all of that. And then you have, of course, the events team. So if you think about it, product marketing, of all the roles is one of the most strategic integral core roles across the rest of the marketing organization. So it makes sense for us to sit in the marketing uh, organization. To go one step deeper and to tell you like, you know, okay, who does the head of marketing report into? I've had that role, that opportunity a few times in my career when, I, when I've done a series of startups. It always comes back to, you know, having the head of marketing for a, for an organization report into a CEO who also understands marketing. If that CEO does not understand marketing, the CMO or the head of marketing should not report to that person because then you're just day in, day out, you're just conflicting between, you know, what you need to do for the business, et cetera, et cetera. But if the CEO understands marketing, your CMO and the CEO can be such an integral combination for you to like take the company to absolutely the next level. So you, when you interview or when you think about your next role or when you're interviewing with startups typically, look for that. Like is your CEO understands, does he get marketing? Not marketing in the sense of brand or corporate marketing, but does he understand how integral marketing is to an organization? Vet that first to see how that all lines up in an organization. That is, oh, from your lips to God's ears, Reka. Um, there's a graveyard of CMOs, unfortunately, who have taken the role because it's a wonderful organization, great culture, but didn't quite dig deep enough as you're recommending as yeah. to the understanding of the CEO as it relates to marketing, truly strategic mm -hmm. marketing, not reacting um, to, to the day's events or the week's events or to the month's events, but strategic marketing where we put the market in marketing. I absolutely love what you said. Uh, and hey there, Trenton. I, hey. <laughs> my apologies. I'm, I'm hogging no, all the questions here. I, I want to turn it to you. Yeah. Um, I think what Tamara said about product marketing, living outside of marketing and product reminds me a lot more of other B2B businesses that aren't technically SaaS or software or tech, where we see a lot of these, they're more like a just a strategic role. They don't have the title of product marketer, but I see them doing lots of the same initiatives and um, responsibilities that product marketers and SaaS companies have. So it, I've seen that work in a lot of other industries, but I've rarely ever seen it in SaaS. So I think that's super interesting. Um, I, I wanted to dive in a little bit deeper about um, what your product marketing teams look like. And we have, you know, the behemoth Salesforce, where I swear almost every product marketer that comes out of there becomes a CMO of another amazing company. And then we have Kajabi that's uh, more SMB. And I, I'm curious how those teams look, what they look like, how are things divided up among the various teams and sub-functions? 
Can you both take us through the current structure of, of your PMM orgs? Uh, maybe we'll start with you tomorrow. Sure, yeah, I'd love to. So at Kajabi, my product marketing team actually consists of two functions, what we would consider the traditional function of product marketing, as well as the function of lifecycle. And I love combining these two functions together because I think they're so powerful when you start getting the compounding benefits of both. So within my PMM function, uh, we're really aligned to the product portfolio. So as I mentioned, we're a PLG company and the product marketers are really in partnership with their product managers. And so we have one PMM per each of our product portfolios. And each PMM is really responsible for the entire kind of part of product marketing within that portfolio from strategic research while we're in discovery to product launch to doing adoption campaigns post-launch. Then my lifecycle team is optimized for the parts of the lifecycle, pretty straightforward. So we have folks who are top of funnel, then middle of funnel, and then bottom of funnel. And so each of them have their own kind of juicy portfolio where they can really deepen their understanding of who the customer is at that part of the lifecycle, what are the different behaviors we want to be driving at that part of the lifecycle, and then how do we build campaigns, programs, whatever they might be, to actually drive those habit loops and behaviors. How many, that sounds like a big team. How many product marketers are there doing all those things? Yes, we have five product marketers, one for each of our product portfolios, and then we have three lifecycle strategists. Awesome. I love the role of the lifecycle strategist. Yeah. I've seen, you know, customer marketing or lifecycle. Mm -hmm. It sometimes it isn't even its own function. And yeah. often when it is its own function, it's somewhere in marketing where it becomes an email team, right? Not mm -hmm. a strategy team. Right. And I played around with this concept originally at Unbound several years ago, where we brought what was the customer marketing team, which happened at the time to live in CS. We brought it over to that strategic growth team that I mentioned. And I just started to really see the benefits of customer marketing, working with product marketing, and also just from a, a career perspective, it, it's such a great opportunity for folks to kind of get a taste of product marketing and then decide if they want to take that career path as well. And so there was a lot of benefits to combining the two. That's awesome. And just to jump in very quickly here. Um, yeah, I, I've seen individuals on both product marketing and customer marketing. I, I love that it's it's life cycle because truly you need to think of the life cycle of the actual customer. Um, do, does the life cycle team or the product marketing team also own content? Or is your organization producing content for? Yeah, that's a great question. So we do not create the content ourselves, meaning we don't write the emails or the pendos that we're sending to customers, but we build the strategy around it. So we'll say, hey, we're noticing that this cohort of customers isn't activating as well as we'd like them to. We'll go and dig into what's going on, what actually, what educational materials do we need at what points in time, on what day and what channel. And then we'll work with a creative team that lives within marketing, but outside of my org. And we'll work with that creative team to actually build the creative assets and then we'll manage the campaigns. Okay, Rekha, let's see if you can <laughs> succinctly guide us through the Salesforce PMM org. Yeah, um, Salesforce PMM org is huge. Yeah. And we also have so many different definitions for PMM. So you have what I call the core PMMs who are essentially, you know, they are the product experts in the marketing organization. They own the positioning, the narrative, the messaging, the pricing and the packaging for the product portfolio. And that's your, the technical product marketers. They are the core PMMs. And then you have PMMs who are in the go-to-market enablement section. So they are the ones who work with the field. They are the ones who activate the field and they create content, assets, plays, sales plays, whatnot. And then you also have a PMM in um, you know, content or social, like awareness efforts who are focused around the thought leadership, the top of the funnel content, both product content as well as thought leadership content. And then you also have PMMs who are called in the, in the field marketing department who who are similar to campaigns, but more lower bottom of the funnel content. So as you can tell, you have a lot of different ways you can slice and dice a PMM organization. Mm -hmm. There is a reason why Trenton, like a lot of the CMOs, like you had said, come from Salesforce. There's This is why, because 
you not only go deep in your area, like if you're a core PMM, you know absolutely what it takes to do messaging, positioning, storytelling, narrative, pricing, packaging, but you also know how to bring all of the other teams together. Like how do you build an integrated campaign around a product launch or a feature launch or an event or how that machine comes together is something that you learn very naturally, gradually at Salesforce. So much so that I did the same you know, analysis on why do you have so many CMOs coming out of Salesforce? And I want right. to become a CMO myself too. Sure. And I decided to start something called as the CMO school internally within Salesforce. The goal of this is not for every person or every marketer at Salesforce to become CMOs, but at least to give them an opportunity to learn the peripheral functions hands-on, but also get guidance from your peers. So I, I had on-demand content. I created um, a marketplace where you have 10% of your time. You're in core PMM. Go to events and learn how an event is done. And you know, if you can partner with someone, just spend 10% of your time. And then the last one was a peer mentorship program. That program I created was, you know, I, it was for my, it was playbook that I had created for myself, but I didn't realize that there was a lot of interest in that. I now actually have more than 5,000 people internally who are part of the CMO school program to do, to learn, you know, what it takes to be a marketer. So my gut is that in the next 10 years, you're going to see a lot more CMOs coming <laughs> from Salesforce, but um we do learn how to build teams together, how to operate together. How do you come together as one team really, really well in a marketing organization? I love that so much. I try on my team as much as possible and have a, a very small team compared to yours um, to not silo discipline so much that if yeah. somebody is interested in learning demand gen or running ads, or they're interested in how do we run social, how do we do an event? that we give them those opportunities of, hey, why don't you go help them with a stretch project here or there and get into Google Ads, actually log into it and kind of see what's happening in there and have somebody walk that, that walk Absolutely. through it, right? I think that's yeah. so cool. That's awesome. Um, so as a, as a follow-up, I'm curious how you're both thinking about uh, what roles your PMM team might need kind of in the future as you continue to scale at Kajabi and how it might evolve in the case of Salesforce as you're acquiring the likes of Slack and different companies like that, or maybe, you know, Salesforce moves into more PLG motion or anything like that. Uh, what does that look like, the evolution of these teams to you guys? Yeah, so because my team is quite small and we're product portfolio focused, I think there's a couple different ways that we'll need to evolve. First is we'll need to deepen subject matter expertise in a few really important functions like pricing. So today we all kind of collaborate on pricing and product marketing, uh, but I could see us easily needing one pricing expert. Uh, we'll definitely need to deepen coverage for some of our larger portfolios. Right now it's one-to-one, -one, meaning one product marketer per one portfolio, but the reality is each of those product portfolios aren't all the same size. And so as we start to deepen our investment in those portfolios, we'll have to make sure we have the right coverage. And then one of the roles I've been thinking a lot about is more of that platform level role where whose job is it to connect the entire narrative, right? To think about what are the threads between all of the product platforms. I'm doing that role today, but obviously I can't do everything. And so as I look to grow the team, that would definitely be a role that I'd be looking for as well. Right, um, how about you? I think for us, we are we are at a point where we've become so big so fast. Relevance and consistency is just extremely top of mind. When I say that, it's not just about, you know, one team doing, a, a, they have a messaging exercise and then translating that across the board. It's It's everything. For instance, when you have a sales play, you know, what does that look like? How does that translate on your website? How does that translate to a customer demo video? Consistency in all of that is going to be extremely critical for us. So that's an area where we have a lot of work to do because we've become so big. You you probably have looked at our website and it's a great one where you have all of the features listed, all of our products listed, but let's be honest, it is overwhelming. <laughs> how do we simplify that? How do we be consistent and how do we get our customers to understand what we do in a super easy, digestible way is, is, is of utmost, is top of mind for all of us. 
And my product is All Things Service Cloud, which is a customer support solution uh, from Salesforce. And it's uh, it's becoming the most ubiquitous uh, solution these days for, you know, during the pandemic when you have the need to connect with your customers more than what you just do. So that's what I tell my team, like be relevant. How does your messaging map to where we, where the market is, where our customers are? And two, how do you bring that consistency and relevance across every single aspect of the customer journey? And think hard about it because that's going to show up in ways that you don't quite foresee right now. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like both of you are being very thoughtful about a product marketer's role either solidifying further or evolving into thinking about the entire journey uh, yeah. across all platforms and making messaging consistent. Um, that sounds like the theme that that's very interesting. Uh, Reka, Tamara, imagine, imagine it's the end of the year. And I, <laughs> with Reka, you know, dreaming or having nightmares about Dreamforce only 28 yeah. days away. I'm, I'm, yeah, this I'm is such a cruel you. question. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're teasing me right now. Imagine Dreamforce has gone swimmingly well and it will, oh. and it's now the end of the year and you're looking back at your overall team's efforts. What does success look like for the product marketing team as a, as a whole? Like what are the, the key metrics that define your team success? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. And I think about this often. I'm going to answer this in, you know, two phases. Once I get over the the thing that the Dreamforce is over, like let me get over that in a second. <laughs> but, you know, as a leader, my biggest job is to be able to have everyone on my team and my org to look back and say, oh, I had so much fun doing this this year. I had the best time learning this. I There was a lot of learning growing pains. It was a lot of learnings, but I had fun. If I can get majority of my team, my org to say that, I consider that my personal success. And I strive towards that every single day. Now, the second part of the question is, you know, how what does product marketing success look like? Um, unfortunately, product marketing is not something that you can quantify like you would do, you know, in a sales organization or in a customer success organization. So the way I would think about it is, what are some of the most impactful moments you've had for your product portfolio in the last year? What is what were they? Like, was they, were they events? Were they launches? Were they, I don't know, content pieces? Like, what was it? And then understand why were they successful or not? Like, what happened? What did you do? How did you think differently? How did that all come together? So my it's always a reflection for me at the end of the year and that's what actually prompted me to get into this role that i am today um what what were my big learnings what were my team's big learnings what would what could have we done better and most importantly how did we come together as a team so i don't think i answered your question directly in terms of product marketing success but it's about the people it's about the team for me period I, you know, Rekha, I, I'll tell you, I, I don't know how many episodes and how many people we've hosted uh, since last year on the show. You are the first, I believe, to start with measuring the fun and learning <laughs> of your, your team. And, and, and frankly, hats off to you because my God, especially uh, over the past couple of years where, you know, it's hard to hire people. If mm -hmm. you're the, the team that, that, that everyone wants to be a part of a, because you allow them to learn, you allow them to have fun whilst they execute. Uh, what could people ask for more in, in their career? So truly uh, kudos to you on that one. Um, I love it. I love that you said that. Uh, Tamara. Yeah, I love it. I am now going to be measuring my team's success. <laughs> <on that. laughs> Great idea. Um, yeah, so for me, it really comes down to market growth. So our ability as a business, really, to capture, convert, and retain our target customer. Uh, so what does that look like specifically? I mean, because we're in a PLG business, it can be a little bit easier to measure some of the work of product marketing. One of the reasons I love doing product marketing in PLG. Uh, so I really think about the funnel, of course, but one of our key metrics that I always have my teams measure is segmented trial ratios. So in a PLG business, mostly we're dealing with free trials or freemium models. 
And so we're tracking, well, how much of our target customer is actually signing up for our product? And we actually measure what did that look like at the beginning of the year? And then how effective were we at shifting the ratio of this? So this is actually part of the talk that I gave in New York. So fun that Trenton already got to see part of that. But um, it was a, a fun discussion around, say like at the beginning of the year, you have 40% of your customer trials are not segmented. Well, you might aim to improve that by 5% by the end of the year or 10%. And really that can be attributed back to the product marketing team's ability to unlock the rest of the org to go after that target segment. Um, then I look at things like product adoption. So each of our product marketers have a product adoption metric because they are responsible for a product portfolio. And then of course, also those lifecycle metrics goes back to my lifecycle team. So our ability to impact conversion rate, activation rate and retention rate. Wow. Between the two of you, I, I, I've changed my answer now because I, I used to have two buckets. And and uh, by the way, Tamara, I, I love the shifting the ratio. Uh, if we can hashtag that, let's hashtag that thing and and, and, and do something yeah. with it. But um, I'll, I'll tell you this, the I used to have two buckets. And the reason I had two buckets was A, to set expectations with your boss, the CMO. Mm -hmm. Or in Tamara's case, if she has it her way, uh, the head of strategy, corporate strategy, <laughs> it would not be a product. But uh, it it's to set expectations by saying, all right, there's a strategic bucket of metrics, there's a tactical bucket of metrics, and then my new bucket, courtesy of Rika, there's the fun bucket, and, and in all honesty, the the team engagement bucket, right? And, yeah. and so you can measure that in, in a different way. But I truly am going to steal that. So now I have three buckets, and the strategic bucket. Uh, Tamara, you, you started with market share. Absolutely. So, you know, the, the revenue of your, your product or your portfolio, you can have a say in that. It, it, it takes a bit to figure out how to connect those dots, but you absolutely, as a product marketer, should be tracking the health of your product through revenue and, um, and usage and market share, customer retention, expansion, all that, that goes in the strategic bucket, but that takes time to, mm -hmm. to move the dial on. So you set the expectations with your CMO there. Then there's the tactical bu bucket. And then, you know, Tamara, you, you hit the nail on the head with this one as it relates to product, just the, the life cycle metrics that you talked about. And, and for me, it's, it's win rate and win rate by competitor. You know, if the mm -hmm. messaging, the pricing and packaging isn't where it ought to be, then that does affect your win rate. If the content by customer journey, do you even have a customer journey? Do you understand right. your personas well enough? Is not where it needs to be. That's going to affect your win rate. That's going to affect your average deal size. That's going to affect your deal velocity. Those are the tactical things that we can change month to month, quarter to quarter. Um, so strategic, tactical, and the fun bucket, Rick, as well. <laughs> yes, very important. Like I, I do want to add that you know, we do have very traditional metrics at Salesforce that we do track and marketing organization is a huge part in that. While we don't go to, you know, we don't dilute the amount of metrics we track, the big ones for us are obviously the revenue. And then we have the average customer value amount. So they are both slightly different. And then of course you have the marketing pipe metrics and pipe gen and whatnot. So those are like the big metrics that we track from a business standpoint. And it's literally ingrained in your head. Day in, day out, that's the dashboard you look at. That's the dashboard you look with your sales leaders. That's the dashboard you look with your product leaders. And you look at it to understand, are you on the right track? Are you thinking about it the right way, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, as leaders, you, you team engagement is a big one for me. And I care about my team immensely for me to add that. So I, I will go back and edit my answer to say that, you know, we do have these bigger metrics we track in addition to me personally caring about my team and how successful they are in their jobs. Rick, I, I think it goes without saying that everyone knows Salesforce is a highly measured company. I think you're safe just answering yes. fun. <laughs> we can all assume I, you guys measure everything. Yeah. I know. I, I figured that was the case, but you know, I, I no, do represent I Salesforce and I want to make sure that <laughs> it's on the right forum. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I love that. Uh, it actually hit me really hard. You said fun. We just are right in the middle of a big event. It's not anywhere near Dreamforce big, but it's big for us. And it just hit me hard. Like, I hope my team has had fun this week executing that and that they don't feel super stressed. So I'm going to yeah. add that to mine along with some of the ones Tamara and Rowan said, but I'm going to start measuring smiles on my uh, marketing team every day. Oh, I, I love that. <laughs>
Oh, so, I'm Trenton. Uh, ba- I know Bailey on your team, and she's so smiling all she's always the time. So you're doing a good charts. job, Trent. She's smiling <laughs> away. That's just her. Has nothing to do with me. Um, like well, I can only imagine, you know, that both of your teams, especially when you've talked about tomorrow, the how much you're involved in the life cycle strategy and. Um, Salesforce is known for like very strong product marketing. I can only imagine that both of you have a lot of interlocking stakeholders um, throughout your business. Um, and I, I often ask product marketers, have, do you ever have a conversation where people come up to you and they wonder what your job even is? And I hear quite a bit that people are like, they don't really know what I do. <laughs> um, I'd love to hear from you both. Like, can you share with the product marketing community how how your team supports product management, demand gen, sales, customer success, all of these different orgs and how they do it in a way where it's pretty clear to the entire company, like this is what product marketing brings to the table. This is the value they provide. Because I imagine with both of your leadership styles, it's probably more clear in your companies than others that product marketing helps. So this is exactly how they help. Um, Rekha, do you want to start with that one? Just you know how your team supports yeah. all these different uh, departments. Yeah, I think it's like the the juggling all of the different hours. It's a very tricky one because at any given point in time, you dip somewhere. You you get zoomed into so many questions, so many hours, mm-hmm. whatnot. I actually just had a quarterly business review today, and you know, usually I would I would sign up or I would speak up to say hey, we should think about this differently. And immediately the, the fingers point to, oh, great, Rika, have your team do this for us. <laughs> so today I was actually extremely quiet in that meeting. This was one of the first few times where I was intentionally quiet because I did I cannot in my heart sign up my team for any more things <laughs> leading up to Dreamforce. So <laughs> the juggle is real. The struggle, the juggle is very real. Um, so in terms of like how we support them, we have like very clear... Um, uh, you know, uh, areas where we have ownership between the teams. With the product team, we always think about it as, you know, one team. Like we, product team is an extension of my team. My team is an extension of the product team. Like we go hand in hand. Even when it comes to the messaging, the narrative, which are technically our jobs, like product marketer jobs, we work very closely with the product. There is value in doing that because product understands the product very intimately. They also understand customers, but product marketers also understand customers and the market one step deeper. So there is important, there is value in bringing together uh, the two teams. With regards to sales, um, it's a different beast altogether. The more you give sales, the more they ask from <laughs> my sister is in the sales organization. So uh, we actually worked in the exact same, supporting the same product. I was in the marketing side. She was in the sales side at Salesforce. And she had access to me in ways that nobody else has, like text, <laughs> iMessage, WhatsApp, Slack, <laughs> call, knock on the door, like you name right. it. And she would yeah. come to me and she'd be like, I need this, 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 this. And I'm like, nope, can't do. Like I, that's the reality of it. So setting expectations with them on what you give them or what they ask and what you deliver and then tracking it. Are you truly using it? Have a champion in the sales organization who can voice your assets or your content with that, you know, with their teams. So you can rely on them to drive adoption for the content. So it's a little bit of a given push and pull with the sales organization. And then of course, with the rest of the marketing organization, like the dimension, the content, the social, you're just BFFs at that point. You work very closely, you put together the strategy together, you talk about the product and you truly have fun with this group because you you are thinking about it the same way as all of them are. So pay attention to product, give extra love to sales because they obviously run the revenue for the organization, mm-hmm. but be BFS with the rest of the marketing organization. Awesome. Tamara, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think there's like two levels to this for me. The first one, and you nailed this, where it's like every organization has a different definition of product marketing, and some organizations are better than others at educating, right? And I think the number one thing I always do is align philosophically around what is this company's philosophical beliefs about the purpose of product marketing and the role that product marketing will play in the company 
and then make sure that all of exec is aligned on that and then socialize that. And so everyone should be really clear about what does product marketing do here and how can I interface with them at the mm-hmm. highest, highest level. And then on an individual level, because my PMMs are portfolio driven, it becomes really easy to understand who does what. But I would say it varies based on portfolio because some portfolios might need more support from a positioning perspective and some need more support from a technical perspective. And so what I always tell my team is just build those working agreements, like figure out who your key stakeholders are across the org, actually sit down with them, build those working agreements about what you will and will not do for both ways, right? Like what can you expect of your stakeholder and what can they expect of you and just be clear on that because at the end of the day, we're all partners. And I find like there is no one answer fits all for how we can work with all of these different teams, really. For me, product marketers are in the business of, you know, when you when you ask a product marketer, what do you do? They should say win. And, and that's not just to be clever. It's win for me as an acronym. And the W stands for who are you going to win with your best fit customers and who are you going to win against? your competitors that you choose to compete against. Uh, The I in win is impact. And so what is the, not just what is the value that you provide your customers, what is the impact of that value to your customers? They're hiring you for a job to be done. They're hiring your solution to solve a job to be done. What is the impact that they're going to get, tangible impact that they're going to get when they hire you? And then finally, the end in narrative is, uh, the end, sorry, in win is is narrative, and that's where it all mm-hmm. comes together. You're you're crafting uh, a story that helps convey your value to your best fit customers, and you're also crafting a story for your internal stakeholders as well. Uh, that's you know your demand gen team and and your sales teams and your customer success teams for expansion conversations. Uh, Reka, let's start with you. Mm-hmm. How does your team determine who to win with and who? To win against? It's hmm. a great question. So who to win with? Um, we obviously have a research team that we work with very closely to identify our target personas and what we do. The one thing that I actually used to encourage my team to do a lot more of was to have those customer calls. Like every product marketer should have at least one or two customer calls every week. The intent is not to, you know, bombard the customers with questions, but also learn a little bit more about their day-to-day, their lives. You know, how can your technology, your product add value to them and how, what words do they use? You know, how do they think about this challenge and things like that? That is always the easiest way for marketers, product marketers to understand the customer so you can market to them well. To answer your next question about, you know, who we are going to win against the field. There is no bigger resource than the field to help you with this because they are the ones who are day in, day out going against competitors. So we we track them very closely. We actually use closed where we we understand the win-loss from deals. You know, what happened, what could be different, what you know, what worked, things like that. And that's a landmine of a resource for us because we then track how often do we come up against someone? Is it the pattern? Is it an industry? Is it a use case? Is it a product? What is it? And then we adjust our messaging and whatnot accordingly. So um, for the for the fit for the customers identifying the target, I would actually use my team as the experts on that because they work very closely and they should be doing that a lot more. And then for the other piece, we rely on technology like, you know, closed or we rely on the field to be able to give us that information. Love it. I'm, I'm loving how Salesforce is, is understanding who their uh, best fit customers are. Kajabi. I just love saying the name. I know. Uh, so <laughs> Kajabi. How is Kajabi determining who to win with and, and who to win against? Yeah, so uh, anyone who knows me even a little bit knows that I'm obsessed with customer segmentation. It's actually my very favorite part of product marketing. And I've been blessed that in all my product marketing roles, we've owned customer segmentation, usually because it's at smaller organizations where we don't have a full-fledged research team. So Rowan, I've also developed my own acronym (laughs) to help me understand how to build customer segmentation. And it's called the MAP model. 
-hmm. So the M stands for measure volume. And again, because I'm in usually PLG, self-serve, we have a lot of volume to look at. And so looking at like, who are you attracting today? Who have you attracted in the past? And really starting to identify trends and pattern in that data. Then the second one, the A in MAP is analyze performance. A lot of people just look at that first level data and they're like, great, I see we have a lot of this customer. They must be our best fit customer. Mm -hmm. But the reality is like you could be attracting and retaining them, but they might actually be dragging down your business or maybe they're not actually using your product in the right way. And so the second stage analyzing performance is all about mapping back like the business value that that customer brings. So What's their churn rate look like? What's their conversion rate look like? What's their ARPU look like? Are they better than the average customer or are they worse than the average customer? And we only want to focus on customer segments that are better than the average customer. And then after we've looked internally at our own business, we then want to look externally. And so the P stands for prioritize potential. If you were to focus on these best fit customers, would you actually be able to win the market? And like, is the market large enough to sustain your growth uh, ambitions? Are competitors going after them? And, and if so, do you feel like you can actually beat the competitor? What's the customer acquisition cost for this type of customer segment? And are the acquisition channels scalable? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I think about it in a nutshell. Um, but I could talk about this subject for hours. Oh, wow. I love map. that. Yeah. Map. 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 Mapping how you win. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. It's so, I love hearing the product-led growth kind of mindset. Um, it's it's just amazing how you you can be so much, it feels like more metric, it feels a lot more like B2C in a lot of cases. And I, I love that. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, so tomorrow, let's, let's stay with you. So right now we're seeing a little bit of uh, economic tightening, a little bit of economic uncertainty. It's becoming even more important as a company to be able to win, to prove that you bring value. And right now there's, you know, companies cutting budget, that kind of thing. And if you're not a proven value add as a solution, you may be kind of on the chopping block. So talk to me a little bit about how, how does your team uh, back to Rowan's uh, win framework on the, the I in win it stands for impact. So how does your team determine the value, uh, not only determine the value offer, but the impact of that value and communicate that to customers? Yeah, this is such a great question. I will caveat by saying that at Kajabi, I feel very fortunate to be marketing and selling the product that we have because Kajabi really is like the operating system mm -hmm. for our customers. It is so integral to their ability to run their business that it isn't something that they're often, you know, thinking about yeah. when they're thinking about cutting costs. But that said, when I think about, you know, the work that we do at Kajabi and the work that I've done in other roles in the past, I think, you know, going back to what Reka said before, this is where customer research and market research really comes in. Mm -hmm. And I like to do a combo of qualitative and quantitative and really have to do the digging to surface. Uh, we could so many different frameworks we could use like jobs we done love the strategizer value prop design canvas but at the end of the day we just have to deeply 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 understand that target persona or that target customer segment and also like what is motivating them to buy your product and use your product what would happen if they didn't have it what are you really solving for them beyond just giving them a product um, when it comes time to actually quantify the value of that though, or, or the impact of that value. This is where I like to go on more surveys. So doing like a trade-off feature preference to really understand what features are driving that perception of value and what features are actually driving a negative perception of value. Mm -hmm. And this is where it's so interesting, right? Because we always think, give them more, give them more. That's what's mm -hmm. gonna make them stick around. But when you get into it, there's actually features that you could be giving to your customers that are like deterring features that are making them actually feel like, well, I'm not actually using that. Maybe I should cancel or maybe I should downgrade my plan. Mm -hmm. Or maybe when they're considering you um, in the buying journey and they see that everything's packaged together, it doesn't really resonate for them. So I think mm -hmm. being able to actually think about what are the features and pieces of value that is highly preferred on a segment level? That's really when you can start to unlock this piece. Yeah, we we see that so often in our win-loss data um, where companies 
package so many features into the product and then they think we can charge a premium price because we package so mm -hmm. many features mm -hmm. in and then when it comes down to a bake-off they choose the cheaper solution because they only have you know uh, half of those features but it solves the job they needed to solve and the other product is bloated and it has all these extra features i don't need but i don't need to pay for them uh we see that all the time um Reka, anything to add about um how your team not only determines the value but the um the offer the, the impact of no, that value I, on the customer i love what tamara said um the understanding why something didn't work is as important or or you know more important than what knowing what worked so we actually spend a lot of time as a team trying to understand if we didn't convert a deal or lose a deal what happened there like what what was it a competitor was it a product was it the pricing was it the packaging like knowing that is ridiculously important we also spend a lot of time understanding the journey of that particular deal like where did they start did they go through an event did they go through the website they go through something else like trying to understand the different touch points that they've had and what we can do to be better so adding on to what Tamara said like we have to be hyper focused on when something didn't work or something didn't click and learn from that to be able to move forward amazing so Reka let's stay with you for a minute here so once you've learned that and once you've learned what things actually influence the the wins you know you've yeah. learned from these losses and Salesforce is kind of is legendary for us its storytelling abilities and especially putting customers central to that storytelling yeah. uh, initiatives uh, so talk to us a little bit about what's what's your approach now to the storytelling both internally and externally around how we tell the story of this value that we found right I, you you just mentioned that like we truly put the customer at the center of it like when you when you think about a demo story for instance my team does not sit and talk about okay we have this new feature how are we going to market this we actually flip that and say okay we have a customer how are we going to talk about the story that the customer has or the challenge that they have and how did truly salesforce a solution you know changed it for them so even as simple as a product demo video or an asset like you put the customer at the center of it and we you know as much as we are a fairly big company and we have all these different products we still care about the end user significantly we have a ton of focus groups that we work with focus groups for the product focus groups for the messaging focus groups for the visuals the ux like we ask questions to understand them deeper and to make sure that the product resonates or brings value to them uh, every single day. So that matters to us. Um, when it comes to the narrative, our goal is to be, um, and it, it, to, to seriously be keep it simple, stupid. Like we follow that <laughs> mantra to the heart. Like how do we truly demystify? How do we not have any jargon? How can we explain this to your grandmother, to your four-year-old in a way that makes sense for them? So that tweaking of the same messaging to different audiences is critical, but at the same time, keep it at a level that is simple and not unnecessarily complex. So awesome. those two are our, you know, kind of um, our guidance on whenever we think about our narrative or our storytelling approach. Yeah, I, I recently heard a story of the first Dreamforce from uh, Jim Steele, who's like a legendary Salesforce leader, you know? Um, yeah. And he they planned all the Dreamforce. They had it like almost completely buttoned up and they were going through uh, like rehearsal type thing. And Mark yeah. Benioff, Mark Benioff came in and said, uh, what are we doing? Like, let's not, let's actually just have customers tell the whole yes. thing instead of me pitching. And I, that story kind of blew me away because they prepped and thought through all the storytelling they wanted to do and they flipped yep. it on its head last minute. And Mark just kind of stood up and asked customers to share their stories. <laughs> and I was oh. like, that's brilliant. Yeah. That happens all the time. Like, you would think <laughs> it that, still that's... happens. Yeah. Yeah, and that's candidly why I'm scared for this 28 days because you never know what's going to change. Absolutely. Like, you yeah. know, my team is ready. My team is prepped. You know, we have our storyboards. We have our key. Yes. Like, we have it all done. Like, it's a machine yeah. right now. Right. But I but. never, you'll never know what's mm -hmm. changing and how you have to, like, pick that up. So, yeah. I mean, 
you all have to come to Dreamforce to see what we have planned and the surprises. <laughs> we so. should all go to see the surprises. And then you I can know. tell us that was a surprise, that was a surprise, that would be fun. Exactly. Uh, but I love that it's it's almost always done in the, the way of let's tell the story through the customer lens. I think that's brilliant. Um, Tamara, whether it Unbounce or recently Kajabi, can please share some of your approaches to narrative and storytelling and how you tell the story of that impact against brand. Yeah, I, I love when I think about storytelling and narrative, I think it goes both up and down. And so, Rick, I love how you talked about distilling it, making it so simple when we're like talking about that product value to the market. I think there's also an opportunity to take all of that information that we've learned about, like, who finds our product viable? What do they find valuable about it? And bring it up as well to shape, like, the company narrative. So maybe less the product narrative, but I'll say the company narrative. And when I think about a strong company narrative, I think about it really needing a differentiated point of view, right? And so I always ask, like, do we want to be better than the competition or do we want to be different than the competition? And most of the time we want to be different because we fundamentally believe that different is better at the end of the day. And so there's tons of different narrative frameworks I love, but the one that I, I love anchoring on that similar to Reiki really puts the customer at the heart of it is like, yeah. what is the shift that you see happening in the world around you? And what is the negative impact of that shift on your customers? And then the rest of the narrative comes out of that. And then that gives you, your business, the opportunity to be the hero, to help the customer move through that pain. But I just love anchoring on that. And I find that that framework often produces really powerful, differentiated narratives. I hate to be the one that has to bring this to a close, but I have one parting question for each of you. Loved everything you shared thus far. Absolutely just tip-top insights. But here we go. Last question for each of you. Trenton, let's start with you. This time I asked the question and, and you have an opportunity to answer now. You've conducted, your organization has conducted thousands, maybe more, of win-loss interviews at closed. Can you share what are the secrets to how to win more? What are you hearing? How are companies winning more? Uh, you just discount 50% on your pricing and it's on automatic. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a lot. We've actually been, so at this event we just had, we've been cutting, uh, looking into this data a lot. And one of the interesting findings that's come up is there's all these categories that we call decision drivers. There's um, your pricing, your sales experience, your service and implementation. Uh, I, it, it's We call it reputation, which is in a large part what marketing is lifting. Um, and your, your overall product capabilities are kind of the five categories that we see uh, trends in. And what we've seen a lot of, and a lot of times I think companies make the mistake of we have to run the board we have to win all five of those categories to win a deal um and we i don't think we've ever seen that in any of our uh reviews of any of our buyer interviews or, or win-loss interviews uh that a company's run the board on all five of those categories like usually they will win in three and have a positive outcome there. And then the other two were kind of a neutral or negative influence even. And so it's it's interesting that um, sometimes it's okay uh, if your sales experience wasn't completely flawless, if your product is way better and your pricing model is uh, correct and has a good pricing market fit, I like to call it. And you know if your brand reputation is very strong. So, so that's kind of an interesting one is doubling down in the strengths um, is sometimes okay and and working on the weaknesses, but knowing they're not going to completely crush every deal is, is kind of an okay thing to think about. Um, some of the other interesting things we've seen is uh, you're just as likely to lose a deal because you're pricing just simply the dollar amount pricing uh, was too expensive or out of budget as you are to lose that deal because your pricing model or contract terms or the way you packaged were out of whack. So a lot of times people will say it was too expensive 
And when we dive deeper into that, they're not actually talking about this just pure dollar amount. They're actually talking about, in a lot of cases, um, the way you packaged pricing or the way your contract terms were set up didn't fit their their business needs, didn't fit um, the way they, they need to go about budgeting or, or creating um, solutions. So those are those are some interesting um, some interesting things. Um, there's been a lot of talk too about uh, buyers don't want to be sold to the same way they've always been sold to. Like cold outreach is kind of dead. Everyone wants pricing on the website now. Um, and, and some of those things might be true, especially with product-led growth really kind of catching fire and becoming more of a thing. But some of the universal things we've seen not change in the way buyers want to buy or be sold to is they still deeply want to tr have trust and feel like they can trust a brand or a salesperson. They want professionalism from the brand or the salesperson. And they also care a ton about uh, the empathy and understanding of that salesperson or the company. So if they don't feel like the sales rep understands them and uh, asks the right questions and has empathy for their situation and can really actually help them solve their problem, it will be a negative influence on the deal. So there's a ton and I could, um, as Tamara said, talk about this for hours, uh, but those are just some of the highlights we've been seeing recently. Love it. And, and we're going to gather all this goodness and, and, and give it to all the product marketing community members out there. <laughs> this is just too good for an end of podcast question. Uh, I tell you that. And you said pricing and packaging uh, quite a few times there. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't agree more. You know, pricing is all about, you know, monetizing value, like pricing and packaging is all about monetizing your value. And if product marketers aren't involved leading it or being a key input into how they monetize value, uh, then you're, you're really missing the boat as a product marketer. And if you want to learn more about pricing and packaging, you know, Mark Stiving, the brilliant Kyle Poyar from OpenView Partners, uh, and then my man, Marcos Rivera, just launched his book, Street Pricing, which is an ep honest to God, an epic read. And not only because he somehow mixes in hip hop with <laughs> pricing go figure uh every chapter is a hip-hop um song uh the, the guy grew up a single mother in the bronx uh led vista equities pricing and packaging uh department now has his own he, the guy's a star cool. anyways i don't That's go cool. on a tangent here but i have res immense respect for people like that yeah. uh street pricing marcus rivera go re read it but let's get to thank you trenton for sharing that reka tamara Last question, same one for both of you. If you can share your thoughts on how product marketers should approach their craft, their discipline, to ensure that they're perceived as architects of growth, aka marketechs, shout out marketechs, versus <laughs> just being yet another cost center, what are your what are your two cents, please? Um, go beyond your job. Like, don't stick to job responsibilities that you're that you're given on paper. When, as a product marketer, go beyond that. Start identifying how you can connect the dots across the business as a product marketer. Again, think about your end user, think about your customer, and question if something's not on the right track or that does not map to it. Um, and have an extremely strong grasp on the product. Like, you are the product expert of the marketing organization, so you you show up as one so go beyond your job don't restrict yourself to the job to the job responsibilities um listed on paper and be the product expert that you are oh, brilliant three wonderful takeaways tamara no pressure <laughs> yeah no i love this question and I, I love that you asked about the perception of value for it too, because as product marketers, that's our job. We're experts at positioning value. And so the same way that you need to position the value of your product, you need to thoughtfully position the value of your product marketing team. I truly believe that. And so it goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is this starts by educating the company and your stakeholders and your exec on what is the value that you deliver to the org. Uh, if you don't do that, everything else is going to be more difficult. But then I think also aligning your success metrics with the company's OKRs. There's so many times where I've seen teams 
believe that they should be doing something different than what the org is doing and be maybe a bit stubborn around along aligning with what those OKRs are. But if you can just align yourself to what you need to do as a business, you will be able to have so much more value in the org. And then Rick, I loved what you said about going kind of above and beyond and kind of going out into the org. And I have a similar one, which is I always tell my team, look for pockets of the organization where you can contribute in ways that no one else can. Like what unique competencies do you have that you can bring to this org that go beyond a job description? And that's truly where you're going to start to be able to shift that perception of value. Ooh, I love that. I, I've learned so much in this conversation, but two things really stick out for me. Number one, uh, I need to uh, get on the dial with Trenton pronto, tonto, and get all this win-loss analysis that they've accumulated into a report. But my God, a lot of us need that. And the second yeah. is, without a doubt, Reka and Tamara, you guys are going to be a C-suite sooner rather than later. That is clear as day to me after hearing your lovely insights. And whether that's a chief marketing officer or a chief strategy officer, uh, th those two are, are, are calling you very, very shortly. Thank you so much for lending us your time. Really appreciate it. And the product marketing community is all the better for it. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.